All right, guys, welcome. Um, I'm glad we could make this work. I very much appreciate it. <coughs> Excuse me. Try not to cough. I um, First of all, everyone can hear, hear me okay, right? Just give me a thumbs up if you can hear me okay. Yes, a stream of thumbs up, each pointing further up than the last. Um, I appreciated the responses when I sort of apologized for uh, only the six uh, articles that's fun. You guys are very nice. I appreciate it. I really appreciate your support. I've been wanting to try something like this for a while. Uh, I'm not beating myself up too much about having only uh, published six. Um, oh, yeah. Does everyone know how to get in line for the queue? Some folks in here are familiar with the platform. You guys should um, help the others. I've dropped you all in a strange new world, and I need you to explain the rules to the newcomers. Um, yeah, I'm not going to beat myself up over it. I, something like the New England, new England Journal of Medicine article. Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. I ate peanuts right before I got on here, which was such a bad decision. Um, it it took a shitload of time. I like there were a lot of call, few calls I made to like gender specialists and emails I sent um, just to make sure my bases were covered, and I think it worked. I don't think there were any major errors. Um, it was going to make people mad no matter what. But anyway, let's go straight to the calls. I just want to talk to you guys, Nyla. What's up? You hear me? We're good. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, awesome. My tech works. Um, let's see. So hi, Jesse. Um, God, it's been so awesome following you for, I don't know, a year now since I heard, um, Katie actually on Coleman Hughes's podcast. That's so why we sent her out on other podcasts. To talk to me. <laughs> right. And it's funny, we actually, um, you know, you have a little contingent of uh, Marblehead housewives who went to see you in Boston, um, which was really cool. Oh, yeah. Um, I think you did the live show. show. Right? Yeah. And it's so yeah. funny because I'm like from Park Slope and now I live in Marblehead and <laughs> which is like, it's really funny. But in any case, I so I'm a mom. I have a 20 year old. I have a 10 year old and a seven year old. They're all girls. And my 20 year old had like some serious mental health issues from probably 15 to the age of like, well, to 18, basically all through high school. And she was essentially diagnosed like an emerging borderline personality. And we went through the whole really, really awful um, five years of trying to help her. She's great now, by the way, at 20. Um, nice. and I don't know if you've been following. Yeah, she's like amazing. Um, and that's the whole point of this. What I'm about to tell you and ask you is, um, have you followed like Matt Richtel's work in the New York times? Uh, no, yeah. actually, he's been doing, Oh, really? So he's in his amazing, like he did like a whole three year, um, deep dive into the mental health system in the United States where it pertains to like teens, adolescents. And so I started following him a while ago and I actually spoke to him on the phone because I like, you know, I'm one of those crazy moms that like comments on or like writes to the actual, you know, journalist instead of just commenting. So, um, <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that I recognized along the way that seems to stand out more than anything else to me in the mental health teen crisis in America is the fact that it is absolutely expensive, like astronomically out of anyone's price range to get real help. Yeah. And so, and one of the things that we realized was that, well, so, you know, to backtrack, like I'm privileged in the sense that we have a little money. And also I just, I know from my own mental health struggles and my family, how the system works. I knew going into it when she started showing signs of issues that, you know, you have to pay to play, right? Yeah. Like you can be hospitalized a million times, be waiting in hospitals forever. Like, I mean, what we spent was about $250,000 over the course of 18 months oh cash. God. That's insane. And then, oh yeah, you have no idea. We still owe one of our therapists $40,000 from a few years ago. We did wilderness therapy. We did, and this, this is all, which all this stuff helped her. We maxed out you know, our money at a certain point, we couldn't get her the help, like even more like inpatient stuff, residential treatments, therapeutic boarding school, stuff like that. But what we were able to do was 
um, after wilderness therapy, we were able to, you know, get the school cause they sort of screwed up. So we didn't have to sue them, even though we got a lawyer, the public school to like send her to an out of districts placement, which costs, so this is in like Beverly, Massachusetts, right? Yep. So it costs like $59,000 a year for this like state of the art, beautiful high school where all the teachers have like PhDs and it, the campus looks like Google. Um, and you know wraparound services amazing therapists and the district pays for that right so like because of fape right the the you know you have the, like mental health is covered under that yeah so the kids that were there the autistic kids or not the autistic kids it was this is like a very high functioning school i think they have a there's another one like it in belmont districts don't tell you about it DCF doesn't tell, I mean, D, you know, Department of Mental Health won't tell you about it. You have even an advocate that's a lawyer doesn't really like say it because the districts can't afford it. It's like bankrupting them where you what you find here is like the high functioning, uh, like Asperger's, you find the trans kids who are really like dysphoric. We have had like a lot of experience with them, like amazing, wonderful kids that just their families need this like big wrap around all these services, right? That are very expensive. Have you, so here's the question. Have you looked into these schools? No. Have you, I, because I just, this is the story that I've been wanting you guys to pick up on somehow. Yeah, would you would you <laughs> send me an email about this stuff? Because it sounds very interesting. I'm just worried that because I know so little about it, I don't have... I have very little to say, but if you would just, um, you know, send me an email, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. No, I definitely so. will. Cool. Because one of the things that's the most important is that to know is that what's all being reported on, like the school, um, you know, the whether or not parents should be, should be notified of kids that are transgender, all that kind of like, all that stuff. That doesn't happen at the level of care that should be provided to everybody and not just the people who can afford it. Yeah. And so the com- there's two parallel conversations here and nobody seems to be reporting on what's being done right and how to do it right. And partly I think it's because it's so expensive, like nobody can afford it. Please send me an email. I'd like to uh, learn more. I will. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Elena, <laughs> uh, what is up? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I can. How's it going? Great. Um, so I am your Brookline High School rival. You and I have spoken over email a few times. Oh, yeah. Hello. How's it going? Hey, it's going great. Um, irrelevantly, um, I live in San Jose, so I hope to see you in person in a couple of weeks when you throw that party. I'm having um, a little trouble hearing you. Are you on uh, oh, speaker? Or I something? am. I am. Okay. Um, uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, you said San Jose. You're hoping to come to the party. Um, sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, great. So I, I'm hoping to see you in San Francisco in two weeks because I live in San Jose. Great. Um, and this is that's actually the question that I have for you. I think you and Katie talked about it uh, briefly once, or you were just briefly once on your show. I was wondering if you had heard about the Elizabeth White situation at San Jose State University. Uh, no, it doesn't ring a bell. Is it something we should look into? It is definitely something you should look into. Basically, um, a professor is being falsely accused of racism because she uh, stands against expatriation. Because she stands against what? Expatriation. Or rather, repatriation. That's a huge difference. Repatriation. Oh, interesting. She doesn't think that the bones need to be returned because the... Con- I mean, it, I'll let you look into it, but yes, I think that you should look into Elizabeth White's um, W-E-I-S-S. She's a professor at San Jose State University. I live in San Jose... Uh, and I know her personally, um, full disclosure. And I think this is absolutely something that you and Katie should look into. Thank you, Elena. I will. Uh, that sounds like a good lead. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, even though we're rivals forever, Newton versus Brookline, um, I hope I get to see you in person in two weeks. Me too. Yeah. Despite the fact that I was massive award-winning high school athlete, I'll sometimes get over the uh, somehow get over our rivalry with Brookline. Brookline, which is where Conan O'Brien is from, by the way. Tyler, what's up? Hey, it's me again. Hello. Uh, just a couple questions. One, how is World War II? Have you made any major advances? Wait, oh God, World War II, yeah. Um, no, it's been mostly bad news. There's some pigeon spikes up. I believe we've called their population from 
10 to 12 that regularly reside between the buildings to like four or six. But the ones who remained are like the dead end equivalent of like the, the special commandos or whatever. And they coo especially loud. So I've had a night getting my landlord and up spikes. So I'm continuing to go crazy. Um, we'll see if my sanity runs out before I depart for California next week. But um, I don't like my moment. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Investing in like gel black active, like at this point, like Wait. it's a gel black worse get gel black. Oh, I think like a paintball. They're smaller. No, the closest I got, I was like, I was like, what's the equivalent of when I was growing up? We had these really advanced super soaker water guns. I want to know what like the the zoomers are are carrying and maybe get a really powerful water gun. But I think. When you get at the point where you're risking someone snapping a photo of you leaning out a window, shooting birds with water, I'm not sure I want to become that guy, but I'm tempted to. Look, look, it's either Jesse. It's, it's honestly at that point. Every, every morning. Like, you have so much on you. Dude, don't worry about the bird. <laughs> this is Start like the least of my shots. problems. And second question. Um, really go, you were like talking about taking a bat to your sleep I am a major sleep enthusiast so hey you're cutting in and out okay. I can only hear you a little bit oh. you're saying something about sleep hygiene yeah no I'm a I'm a hygiene enthusiast if you wouldn't mind can you tell me what your sleep routine is so I can I can oh, help guide I I've had horrible insomnia for a long time, and I did a round of um, sleep CBT, uh, CBTI earlier this uh, last year. I just don't have a good routine. I really need to put away the screens before bed. The problem is I'm often working at night, so the short answer is I have a very bad routine. The one plus side of the birds is I get woken up early every morning, and constricting your sleep is like the first step to getting better at sleep. Yeah, consistency is key. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, do, do you want me to just start like various things I've discovered work? You want to just, you know, if you, talk well, to... in part because you're cutting out, if you would send me an email, that would actually be very helpful to me because the sleep thing has been a problem for years and years. But you're cutting out. I'm only hearing every third word, so I'm, I'm worried I'll misinterpret something and then hurt myself horribly. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, good <laughs> speaking you, you with you again. Appreciate it. KW, who is a regular on the Colin show, what's up? Indeed, I am. How's it going, Jesse? How are you? Pretty good as well. I uh, actually got sort of a light question to start you off with. Uh, first of all, I'm sure you've heard Tom Brady retired. Maybe yes. this time. Maybe. What? So, what's your favorite Tom Brady memory? Since you're a Patriots fan. In um. 2001, or I guess early 2002, I was at the, this won't mean anything to non-football fans, but I was at a playoff game in the snow, Tom Brady's first playoff game. We were playing the Oakland Raiders, um, and uh, there was a scene where he appeared to fumble, but a close read of the rule book, he did not fumble. It was an incomplete pass. It was the tuck rule game that I think will always be the most incredible sporting event I've ever been to in my life. Wow. It also helped that I was you like were... 18 years old. I was at the tuck rule game. You were at the tuck rule game. Wow. Okay, no one in this chat is going to know what the hell we're talking about. No. Wow. It was, okay, it's like if you're a football fan, it's like one of the more famous moments of the last, you know, of the century. Uh, I was very lucky to be there. And, yeah, I don't know, 18 playoff game in the snow. It doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. Well, well I'm jealous of you. Uh, also, speaking of which, uh, segue into this next thing. I was listening to Ethan Strauss's uh, podcast Recently, he had this guy on, uh, Ross Sparkon, who I hadn't heard of before. Apparently, he's a leftist writer. He has his own substack. And what I found interesting when the two of them were talking is that they both seem to have ir some irritation with both the woke and the anti-woke sides of the culture war. Yeah. That both sides seem to have this sort of pessimistic outlook like, oh, my God, the other side is going to take over forever. We're doomed. And yeah, there's like this, both of them adopt this like almost martyr stance that they're like involved in this like hopeless war. 
they make it sound like it's like the other side's like an onslaught of like orcs from Lord of the Rings or something, but I'm, I'm very <laughs> familiar with that style. Great comparison. And, you know, it just got me thinking. I know that trans issues are a huge topic right now, a very much a live debate, but do you get the sense that some of the other stuff of the woke era seems to be dying down a little? Because yeah, I see with the, you know, for example, the Tyre, Tyree, Tyre Nichols killing. I mean, I see some people here and there going, all cops are bastards, abolish the police. And I'm like, oh, you guys are still doing that. That's adorable. There were, I mean, or, that one was weird because it's like this undeniably horrific thing that really does appear to be a murder. And there are these yeah. pieces, you know, mad that anyone would, would question whether it, it was caused by white supremacy when this seems like a very odd case to chalk up to white supremacy. But they feel almost like perfunctory, like the, the authors aren't even putting their hearts into it. Um, so I... I think a lot of this stuff has calmed down and I think it helps to realize that these fights are often cyclical. And mm -hmm. I think like the involvement of like certain people, especially on the anti-woke side who were previously uninterested in politics and have just like no sense of historical context has maybe ratcheted up the temperature higher than it needs to go. Yes, it has. And speaking from my perspective, I first discovered all this stuff because well, I mean, I first noticed it with movies. I've told you this before, just the moral panics that people on the woke side have had about movies over the years, whether it's La La Land or Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri or Joker or or that Sundance documentary, the Jihad thing. I, I can't even remember the name Jihad of it Rehab. now. Yeah, we'll right. And it's well, what I've noticed in recent years is the anti-woke side, they the certain movies and video games that they're mad about, like for example, the star Wars movie, the last Jedi or the video game last of us part two, they never shut up about those like ever. They just exactly. constantly bring them up again and again and again and again. Yeah. And that's starting to annoy me more than anything else. If I'm being honest with you. Yeah, there is a, um, a sense in which folks get fixated on their hobby horses and just can't stay away from them. They do. Yeah. And, well, it seems like things are at least calming down a smidge. We'll see how this next round of the culture war goes, I suppose. Yeah, I'm sure there will be uh, something else. But uh, yeah, thank you for the call, KW. Anytime. Let me take just a couple of quick things from the chat. My name isn't Sam, whose name surely isn't Sam. Matt Walker has a short and sweet podcast that goes through pretty good sleep hygiene tips and tricks. I will check that out. That seems useful. Uh, Nouveau Hobo. That's <laughs> a very good name. Nouveau Hobo. Um, Jesse, is there in principle a point at which the evidence gets so bad that you would support any kind of childhood gender med ban? Um, it would be hard for me to, because like a, a quirk of this area of research is like, if you're doing it well, you should be putting kids on hormones and blockers only if they already have pretty good mental health. And that legitimately legitimately makes it difficult to observe improvements in mental health. Cause like, so I don't know, I don't know what a study would look like where I'd be like, that's it. I, I want it banned. I'm not opposed to having it be more tightly regulated. Cause the more I, I when I look back at some of the stuff I wrote, I really, I myself exaggerated the strength of the research. Um, it's so bad. And the more I've looked into it, the more frustrated and shocked I've gotten, including the new New England Journal of Medicine study. It would be really hard for me to like think it should be banned, but I, I'm, I'd be absolutely for regulation or like, this is, I was talking about this with someone like with these Republican laws, you could absolutely write a law that would be much harder to be opposed to. It's like, you know, uh, if you're under a certain age, we think you should have X counseling sessions over this long a period before you go on, in theory, something like that would be much harder to oppose, but I, I, I really am opposed to banning it outright. I, I, or at least I can't imagine what new evidence would emerge. I, I mean, if the New England Journal of Medicine study had come out and they'd been unable to hide the fact that, like, the kids' mental health nosedived after going on hormones, that would be a different thing. But I, I don't think that was ever going to happen. Noel, what's up? Oh, hey, Jesse, is it me? Is it me talking to you? It is you talking to okay, me. Okay, okay, I have this. How are you, Jesse Single? I'm good. How are you? I'm. Um, I have a headache from reading this study. 
I don't know how you do it. Uh, seriously, it's been bothering me ever since I read the actual, I have the study in front of me. And um, I have a couple questions. Uh, okay, first, can I just say something? I agree with you on what you said about outright bans. Um, I think every kid needs an individual approach. Yeah. Uh, which is almost impossible to do. But I think that these authors don't want an individualized approach. Yeah. And I've seen some, I've seen some examples of uh, kids that seem really mentally well and happy post-transition. So, I mean, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't say that I would know, be the one to make that call, but. Um, we, I, I would just say that the, the team includes both MDs and psychologists. Um, MDs mean like MDs, MDs, oh, and psychiatrists. Oh, and, oh, and so like, oh, oh sorry. Sorry, oh, I ahead. thought it was all physicians. I, I just, all I saw was Joanna Olson Kennedy and another. Well, so that's what I was going to get to. Like, it's it's a big team. And there's like this guy, Marco Hidalgo, who's a psychologist. I don't know his views on this stuff. Joanna Olson Kennedy is open about the fact that she doesn't think mental health assessment should be any part of the mm -hmm. process for you. So I, I think some of them, you're right, that they basically think if a kid says they're trans and really wants hormones and, and says or their parents say they've had dysphoria for X months. Um, look, we know from the Reuters team that there's big clinics where they give kids blockers and hormones on the first visit or, or give them prescriptions for them. So that's not an individualized approach at all. Yeah. In fact, that was the same. Oh, I can't get into it, but that was, the Reuters interviewed the same exact gender clinic that I had to deal with, including the social worker and the doctor who was the pediatric endocrinologist who told that poor child, that um, there were no uh, issues with fertility if you took testosterone. I mean, I couldn't believe that they let that OHSU allowed writers to follow them because I didn't think they looked that great. Yeah. But um, here's my, I have a question. Okay. I don't want to take up all your time. I have a couple questions specifically about this study uh, that I don't think that they did a very, I don't, well, I'm not a doctor. So I read these studies and kind of in the weeds here, but I, there are a couple of things I felt like they absolutely should have addressed and they didn't. One was 64% biological female, I believe. Um, it seems like they, I don't know why they wouldn't have had 50% male, female. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting, I just don't mention that discrepancy. They, that discrepancy is, appears to be important. And I think um, I'm, I'm going to just make a hypothesis that they don't want to address that, that sex yeah. difference. Because then they, they would have to explain why so many girls are identifying as boys. Yeah. Uh, secondly, I'm looking at this. Uh, it looks like it's basically an ad hoc study where they took the results that they liked and wrote a conclusion. Um, because the uh, evidence didn't fit their hypothesis. Uh, that's kind of a rudimentary way of explaining what I what I what I read was, well, um, appearance, happiness in um, appearance congruence appears to be to me to be the only positive outcome. And I don't understand the math well enough to see statistically what I wanted to ask you was, I don't understand the percentage of life of satisfaction increase. Was that a significant statistically significant improvement with um, but uh, uh, trans boys. Um, I, um, I think if one of them was strictly speaking not statistically significant, it was a difference of 0.8 points out of a hundred. But then what I'm put, reading. Yeah, say again. That's what I'm reading. 0.84. Uh, I thought it was 0.8. I don't. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me. Well, oh, it was tiny. It was tiny. And but then in like the adjusted model, and I don't. I I don't get the in-depth statistical stuff. The oh, part okay. two I'm working on does not, the critique stands without actually knowing. It's just, I'm taking their numbers at face value. The short answer is there's like these, everything's tiny except for appearance congruence. But appearance congruence is just questions like, my external appearance fits my gender identity, where you would be shocked if that didn't change as someone's yeah. phenotype changes. And I, and of course I can't read that survey huh it's not in the article 
I yeah, mean, I I'll include I I, my, the thing I'm working on. The part two has will include like the full content of that um, transgender. Yeah, so that would have given, given readers a mostly physicians read this. Secondly, because um, I know you have a bunch of people waiting, but um, okay. Secondly, it appears to me I'm going to make a hypothesis that I cannot prove that these people, these clinicians, have a lot of really potentially good information to help improve mental health for gender diverse kids and they won't release it because it doesn't fit their hypothesis. You're just saying that if they released more data, it would improve the overall state of the field? Yeah, I don't know why yeah. they spent two years getting giving eight measurements and they I, I don't believe that the last, I mean like the Beck depression inventory is really easy to score. They used the, they make that tool. I didn't see any results from that and their conclusion. No, they did. They provided back oh, okay. back okay, in so, the anxiety measure. Okay, so that's the two they included. They could have included all of the other ones as well. There wasn't really any reason for them to withhold that information unless they're just trying to make it uh, publish it faster. No, I mean this is what I was saying in the piece. I wish they'd explain because if if they don't explain, then as a skeptical consumer of science, you have every right to say, well, well, it looks like you just shuffled your to something new because the first one didn't work out, but hopefully at some point they'll offer some explanation. Well, I, I feel like this is um, <clears throat> pernicious and really unfair to a pediatric population. I, I, it's very upsetting to me that cl any clinician wouldn't want to improve um, mental health for uh, gender diverse kids, no matter what that is. I don't care what it is, if they could show evidence to support it. That yeah. needs to be made public. Uh, lastly, and I will let you go. Thank you. I'm taking too, too much time. Um, I did not really think that the uh, Dutch study write-up was very good of their takedown of the Dutch study. The uh, um, Julia Mason, what, Zuck, Ken Zucker, is that his name? It was a very biased. I felt like that was a very biased piece as well um, from a different perspective. Wait, there's one Mason and Zucker were both on? I believe so. It was the one that they took out the dust, the took down the Dutch study and was married, marital fan and sex. There. Oh, I have that on my board. Hold on one sec. I have that right here. Um, no, this was um, Abruzzese, Levine, and Ju Julia Mason, not Ken Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, I slogged through that and I felt like reading it was just kind of reading an agenda. Um, that they don't like the Dutch study. Basically, they could have written in one paragraph, we don't like the Dutch study, the end. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Uh, you, yeah. I, I, I read it quickly. I just haven't really dug in enough yet. Okay. But, um, okay. Well, yeah. I'll let you go. Thank you. Thank you for this uh, doing this for us. Appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. Jacob, what is up? Hey, Jesse. Thanks for doing this. And Hello. It appears you're a talking cat. Is that is that the case? Uh, as someone said during the pandemic, I am not a cat, but I, I do have <laughs> a, a cat avatar. Uh, he's great, but wakes us up every morning to be fed. <laughs> hey, let me just address one question from the chat. This I, I'm so ignorant of this area, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. Given that the research no, no. was federally funded, doesn't the NIH require release of all that data? Could it be FOIA'd? I'm looking into that. It's embarrassing how little I know about it. The um, This was funded by the Eunice Kennedy Shriver Foundation, this particular study. They have gotten, and I think that's just a private foundation. I Again, I'm dumb on this stuff. I could be wrong. I think they've got an NIH funding for other stuff, and I don't know how the two interact, but um, absolutely something I want to look into because I, I, they've gotten federal funding. Okay, go ahead. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries. It's uh, it's good to, to hear the answer on that. I had a uh... Oh, wait, it is under the NIH. I'm sorry. This is why I need to learn more stuff. Okay, go ahead. I apologize. No, no. So your your favorite person in the world, Michael Hobbs, yes. uh, had a podcast this week on the whole lab leak incident. And I didn't listen to it because I don't like Michael Hobbs, but also it's a Patreon only one. And I'm not going to subscribe to his Patreon about it. But do you think you're ever going to look into the lab leak area? Because... It does seem up your alley in the sense that the whole idea of a Chinese bioweapon, that got discredited. It's completely ridiculous. But the question of did it jump from an animal 
is there something involving the lab and it either leaked from there one of the researchers who goes around china going into bat caves got bit and started the you know the the epidemic and there are studies that came out that say these studies show it originated in the wet market they seem very dubious to me but i don't really have the statistical shops chops and as someone who's a science journalist and can delve into this do you think that's ever something you're going to explore um yeah I, probably not and the reason for that is simply that i perpetually have like between three and five longer magazine pieces i would like to write that i'll never write um, I have like other big projects on the horizon. So there's a lot of genuinely worthwhile subjects, including this one where I like, it would just be such a heavy lift for me to start from almost ground zero. And I'd have to talk to so many epidemiologists, so many people familiar with this area. And it's just, it probably wouldn't be feasible given other constraints on my time, which sucks because I think it's like, it was very interesting how it, it's this creepy conformity people notice in media. It was just sort of like, it feels like it was determined overnight that it was racist to talk about it being a lab leak, which never made any sense. And it's this yeah. very weird thing where in much the same way, it's weird that the lefty stance on the youth gender stuff would be like, oh, we must always trust the medical establishment. They couldn't be doing anything wrong. We must always just trust the Chinese government. So I found that weird, but um, I just think it would probably be too, too heavy a lift for me to like do good work on that. And if I'm not going to do good, thorough, obsessive work, I'd rather probably just skip it. And then, you know, when someone else writes a good article about it, try to spread that around. Fair enough. Well, yeah. thank you very much, Jesse. Thank you. Um, okay. Nuevo Hobo, who has already FOIA requested that stuff. Can you send me an email? I'd be curious what you requested because um, I might be filing some of my own stuff. I just, I wouldn't want to overlap with you. Maybe you can share stuff with me if you find it. I'd be curious to know what you're doing. I suck at FOIA stuff, um, but I need to do more of it. Uh, someone scheduled why is the left so humorous um that's a lot of it's true hey what is up a is also a regular on the uh normal public call and show how's it going hey jesse how are you keeping i'm good how are you not bad at all not bad um first thing i just wanted to ask you like in your expert opinion what is the correct number of trans people that should be in existence <laughs> this was uh I was having a super fun time on Twitter fighting with Tom Skoko, which is just the most idiotic thing to do. And Will Meneker, the uh, Chapo Trap House co-host, co snarkily asked me what I thought the proper number of trans people should exist. I almost tweeted, you know, I covered this in my, my Atlantic story headline, what I, Jesse Single, think the right number of trans people is. Um, <laughs> no, what I said, which I think was a fair point, is like Chapo Trap House um, is hated by some crazy people on Twitter who view them as evil harassers of women and Bernie bros. And just they have – it just annoys me to see that coming from Medicare because he's had really unhinged shit about, said about him. So anyway, it was a fun day on Twitter. I, definitely productive for me. Yeah, it was really fun watching your Twitter. You're right. It was like a – Twitter or Royal Rumble or something. It was just people coming at you from all sides. Like, it was really, really funny. Doesn't matter. Uh, Stupid. <laughs> but uh, I was just going to ask a couple of things. First of all, uh, did you have you seen the thing that's been going on in Scotland recently? The kind of... Uh, uh, the uh, stuff? Yeah, like, and the prison stuff about that uh, case with the rapist, the trans rapist, um, who was going to be housed in the woman's prison, and there was a Ferrari over it. Did you see? Yeah, I, I'm only a little bit. It just, it just seems like another instance of like um reality colliding with strongly held ideological platitudes on this stuff uh is that more or less what's happened yeah exactly like it was almost like the case was like a, a right-wing fever dream come to life like it was just like it couldn't have been more ridiculous like uh it was like a case of a person who had raped two women and it was like a big birdie dude with like face tattoos and then after he had been uh, charged with the two rapes, uh, he started transitioning and then wanted to be held in a woman's prison. And he was going to be allowed to be held in a woman's prison until there was just a huge, massive public backlash after the case kind of was publicized. And then they had to house him in a male prison subsequently um, because it was very evident that, like, he was, you know, that, that, that there was a high likelihood he was doing it to, to gain the system or the person was doing it to gain the system. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then then Nicola, Nicola Sturgeon kind of had to backtrack and has been challenged about like how how 
how how much she's supporting the kind of uh, trans ideology now, like in terms of that she's not being supportive enough because she backed down and didn't allow this person to go to the women's prison. People, people are accusing her of not being supportive enough because the burly face tattooed dude who raped women can't be housed with women. Yeah, pretty much. Like there was, she had a, there was an ITV interviewer, and he gave her a really hard time. Like he said, like you know, are trans women women? Like, and uh, you know, uh, but this was after he said, like he just allowed this, uh, you know, trans woman to be held in a man's prison. Like, and are trans women women? And if so, like should they not just be held in women's prisons? And uh, she, yeah, she couldn't really answer the question because of the case they had just kind of backtracked on. And uh, yeah, he, like it was, it was very difficult for her. Like she was just kind of like uh, tongue-tied. Like, but yeah, it was in, it was an interesting case. And J.K. Rowling kind of commented on it a few times, and then really hit Nicola Sturgeon afterwards as well, like uh, on Twitter. Dude, this all gets like it gets really ugly, and you should you shouldn't you know I. It just it so clearly requires a more nuanced policy than like people are literally whatever they say they are, no matter what. And this has been so obvious for so long and the refusal, um, the combination of like declaring a new way to understand sex and gender and the refusal to have any debate about it was always going to, I think, implode in people's faces. It's just, it's depressing as hell. Yeah. Like this, uh, was a case where it did seem like a fairly obvious case where someone was trying it on like and a lot of people you know were defending the individual and saying like you know that they were genuine and it seems like that there's very few cases the only one i can think of is that case in uh, the u.s recently where that person killed the people in the gay nightclub and then subsequently said that they were non-binary i think people were like trans and non-binary people were questioning that um, they were uh, as as to whether it was genuine or not, but that's the only case I've ever heard of them when they've been questioning it, like and haven't like been advocating for the person. Even in the case here, with, where the person was after raping two women, like they were still advocating they'd be placed in the women's prison, and it seemed like they were just totally trying to gain the system. Like, I couldn't believe that the uh, activists were actually trying to uh, insist that they be placed in the women's prison, but they were like people have lost their minds. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's just it's just incredibly ugly. Um, anyway, anything else? One last thing. Yes, just speaking of that, the guy who said he was a or the person who uh, said they're the non-binary person who that who did that um, shooting, you know, in the, the, the club. Yeah. Where what prison should they be held in? <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll need a, a new wing or whatever. We need one. Yeah, we need a new one. All right, anyway, good luck. Thanks. Thank you for the call. Yeah, I find this so depressing. Hellcat, what's up? Hello, Kat. Hello. Can you hear me? I can. How's it going? Uh, going well. How are you? I'm good. Okay. So first on the sleeping thing, uh, magnesium, since we're just throwing everything there out there. Magnesium helps with um, restless leg syndrome. Oh, yeah. I... So if you deal with that, I highly recommend taking magnesium. Um, and you take it right before bedtime. So it can help you fall asleep. So that's my, my helpfulness. <laughs> yes. Um, so I had a question on an area that's not necessarily in your wheelhouse, but might be adjacent. Um, since I come to you and Katie for all my childhood um, questions about child rearing. Of course. Figure you two are experts. Childless people in their late 30s makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Um, just curious, uh, after listening to the daily podcast, they were talking about a, a new article on child. So the, the reporter, it was on new guidelines to pediatricians for treating childhood obesity. And just listening to it, it, it did remind me, I, I could note parallels when it comes to guidelines in treating transgender adolescents um and not di directly of course but i'm just curious and i thought okay i'm sure this is going to have a backlash of itself in a lot of ways um I, yeah the meaning to to check that out because like it was basically the pediatric medical establishment um advocating for for like gastric bypass surgery on on kids or some other kind of surgery? Uh, yes, I think for 
12 or 13 and older. It might be 12, it might be 13, but yes, um, uh, gastric bypass. And of course, there's different types of gastric bypass. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure what specifically they, they recommended. And and I have to say, so I'm a mom of, of four, um, but I had uh, childhood obesity myself. So it's just something that, of course, when you, you go through something, it, it sort of sparks your interest more than other topics that you may not have direct experience with as of yet. Yeah, so, of course. Um, I just, I thought, wow, this, and, you know, I'm like a kid of the early 90s. So obviously things have, have changed, but I don't necessarily buy the, um, the epidemic part of it. And I just figure the statistics that they're pulling, I, I don't know, I, I feel like throwing some shade at it, but it's not my specific area of expertise and understanding some of the statistics. But even I think Matt Iglesias wrote, did an article this week, just sort of looking more closely at some of these numbers that they throw out in relation to the increase in childhood obesity that and trying to attribute it to very specific things. Gotcha. Um, um, I, sh I should read Iglesias' coverage of it. I would definitely trust him with something like this. And I, I definitely want to learn more about it. Yeah, I think that it's, I, I think it could definitely be in your wheelhouse because there's definitely some analysis that needs to be done, but also um, just this idea of, of, I don't know, just the, the controversial aspect of it. Yeah. And sort of taking the flames out of it. But I I would definitely be curious as to your your take on it for sure. Gotcha. Okay. I will, I will check it out. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you. Dan, what's up? Hey Jesse. Um I wanna ask you a couple questions about resources for normal people. Um <laughs> I'm not sure I'm an expert on that, but I'll do what I can. Yeah, you're not, but I'm hoping you can, like, help. Um, so I live in a very rural, very conservative area. Um, I subscribe, so I'm more online than everyone else around me. Like, my friends don't know who Libs of TikTok is, but they've <laughs> seen the videos because they were shared on Facebook. I heard, I heard that uh, there's kids using litter boxes because they identify as cats. Yeah, that's, that's it's what literally people, happening. Like, yeah, that's what they're saying. Like, that's what people are saying to me. I'm like, no, that's not happening. Yeah. Um, and so I have kind of become a de facto resource for my friends about these internet things that they're not real, but they are real. Right. Um, so I, I'm asked, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, where can I send them? Um, I right now, like, I look at uh, GenSpect a lot, and they're pretty cool. Um, I personally use, was it SEGM? Society, and, Society yes, for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's, that's a great resource, but that's, that's, that's not talking to like people who don't know what's going on. You, you mean resources on gender stuff in particular or? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. so we, well, in, in general, but like as a kind of a, an example, my local school board voted eight to one to reject uh, CRT and the one dissent said it didn't go far enough. It's like th they know really? what's happening in the wider world, but they don't know what's actually happening. Like, right. It's, it's just, it's filtered through. So like, is there, like I said, I, I like Genspect. Um, uh, I, I think a lot of their blogs have been good, but like, is there a resource I can say, Hey, go check them out or Hey, look at this to understand and that they can understand, they can get a broader view. You know, I'm not saying it has to be tailored to conservatives, but it's got to at least, <laughs> at least understand what these people are seeing. Yeah. Um, I mean, for a while, I just thought there was like so little journalism on this. Um, you know, I would say, you know, I, I, Emily Bazelon's long New York Times Magazine article, there's an investigative yeah. team at Reuters. I know if they're like conservative, they might be a bit more skeptical of mainstream media, but 
I think they'll find these to be very even-handed articles. Like the Reuters team is doing good stuff. Azim Gureshi is on the science desk at the New York Times. Um, beyond that, it's just it's so frustrating because it seems like the only choices are progressive outlet. If you need me to repeat any of those, let me know. Progressive outlets that like honestly at a certain point are just lying about the strength of the evidence, which is horrible because we're talking about kids and suicide. It's like that's the choice or like pretty far right outlets that or sources that I think often screw up in the other direction. I, I think Society of Evidence-Based Gender Medicine is pretty good. GenSpect is pretty good. You know, some of the folks within those institutions might be more skeptical of youth transition than I am, but at least they're taking a critical eye to this stuff. Fourth wave now is considered like horrible and evil and transphobic. I don't think it is. It's very critical of this stuff, but I think in like an intelligent way. So yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, it's, this is, it's also a conflict with me personally, because like I look at uh, SEGM and like Colin Wright's a big influence there. And I like, this is where I'm at is I am a conservative, I guess, whatever. But I think Colin Wright might be getting a little too far right for some of these things. I think sometimes people get like a little bit, it's like someone was saying at the beginning, you can get a little bit caught up in the idea that you're like fighting some holy war when um, that's a really bad idea for a subject that requires as much like empathy and nuance as this one. So yeah, that can be a problem, I think. Yeah. No, no. Thank you, Jesse. I just, like I said, it's, I, I wish there was something, something that was tailored to people who are willing to listen yeah, you know, but that—that's th not what the culture has given us because that's not what the culture is right now. No, it's. It, I feel really bad for parents who actually have to make decisions about this stuff. Yeah, I have like all of my friends, like they have kids, and like my siblings, the kids are between you know five and ten years old, and it's like they're hearing these horrible things. I'm like, no, that's not true, but it kind of is. Yeah, right. It's like overblown, <laughs> but there's elements of truth to it. Right. Yeah. 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 So, it, I mean, it's, it is, that's like the culture war, you know, part of it, but yeah, no, thank you, Jesse. Hey, you have a great yourself. Great Thanks, yourself man. Thank you for the call. No, dude. See ya. We got two Dan's finishing it. This will be the last one unless other folks get in. Dan, the other Dan, Dan Greenberg. How's it going? Oh, and then Morpho. Then Morpho too. Dan, you got to unmute yourself. There's a little button there in the lower left. I think. Thank you. Go. I, I really wanted to compliment you on your recent piece that uh, drew a distinction between uh, being altruistic effectively and, and on the one hand and, and the effective altruism movement on the other. Thank you. Um, uh, am, am I, uh, are we allowed to talk about that or do we have to discuss transgenderism? <laughs> Only if you can tie it into trans. No, talk about whatever you want. <laughs> um, well, you know, one thing I wondered about was if you were um, being overly sympathetic to the effective altruism movement, because I, I, uh, uh, I mean, it seems to me that there is this movement and they, they have, I think some, some odd and indefensible beliefs. Um, yeah. uh, uh, you know, one, one thing I was wondering about, you know, and I, 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 uh, your, your piece prompted me to look at this McCaskill book and, and it, it, it seems like these people have this view that we, you know, that, that the universe would be better if there were more people in it yeah. as, as a, as a general matter. And, and I mean, I, I, I just, I wonder if that leads to some very odd political views about like the importance and necessity of like uh, not just having lots and lots of children, but, but also like social movements that essentially require, I mean, I know this sounds a little crazy, but I mean, I think EA's premises are crazy. I, I wonder, I wonder if it implies that uh, uh, it's really like a duty to have these social movements where you have this, sort of, I don't know, handmaid's tale type scenario where, where women are just required to give birth to a lot of babies more or less all the time. Yeah, so the, this is um, a few articles ago. Folks can look it up. It's just a, a piece about the effect of altruism movement and the controversies. There's this concept, and I'm explaining not for you, Dan, but for everyone else, this concept of long-termism um, that we shouldn't weigh future lives any less than we weigh current lives. And there's a version of that where if you calculate the good in the universe just from someone existing and living a decent life, you this the math gets very wacky and you could come up with situations where the math quote unquote tells you that you know if we had to nuke africa all of africa to ensure that there were a trillion humans in the future a trillion humans in the future would bring so much good 
that you're willing to give up some present day lives. And there's just a lot of like weird conclusions there. It's too much to get into. My argument in the piece is that individual EA organizations like GiveWell, the one I donate to, I don't think they've been captured by crazy long-termist people. I think they really focus on things like, you know, fighting malaria in the developed world. And, and that's why I give to them. If they ever took a turn toward like really abstract stuff, I just wouldn't be less interested. But the whole, the whole controversy hinges on like, who gets to define what it means to be an effective altruist, right? That's what we're arguing about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, I, I very much agree with, with that, that thrust of your piece. But, it, I mean, it just – there's another aspect of, I guess, EA as a movement that I, I that's related to, to what we're talking about, which I, I just think is very weird, which is – I mean, it just seems obvious to me that uh, things are much less valuable in the future – than they are in the present, you know, like the time value of money. You'd much rather have a right. hundred dollars now than you would, than you would, you know, in the yeah, 10 years like in the future. Yeah, this is like a pretty basic economic principle in, in part right. because a hundred dollars will all be always less instead of because of inflation, but also just because of, you know, we value stuff today more. Right. And so, so, I mean, that, that seems like a common sense argument against, against this notion. And there's also the, the indeterminacy of the future, right. Which is like, you know, in, Today, today it's 2023. In 1923, it would be impossible to talk about what 2023 is going to look like, right? right. And so, I, I mean, it, it just it just seems like if you think about this EA stuff for like five minutes, um, uh, we, you know, it seems to assume like large and perfect knowledge of the future. It seems to assume that uh, there's no such thing as like uh, the time value of money or related phenomena generally. Yeah. I mean, it, I, it's 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 just it's so puzzling to me how you have this movement that rests on these really almost indefensible premises. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I'm, I'm having the same sort of experience as I, as I once had when I was in a room with a, with a friend surrounded by some very odd people. And we looked at each other and we, we, we said, you know, either you and I are crazy or everyone else in this room is crazy. And, and, and I, 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 I wonder if you have any thoughts on, on how, how this, how this movement arose um, in that, because it just seems to have these really sort of, you know, among intellectuals, right. Among sort of theoretically minded people, and it just seems to have these really odd and indefensible consequences. Yeah. I mean, I, I would just reiterate to me, I think to, there's different definitions of EA. My, like, I think a perfectly reasonable definition of EA is altruism that is evidence based. Um, and if that's what EA is, yeah. I'm pro EA. Uh, if EA means believing in appeasing future robot gods or whatever, I'm less <laughs> into it. But to me, like, I don't have a good answer, like how it how it evolved. I recommend the book um, "The EA Does Not Hate You" by uh, Tom Shivers. I don't think it came out in the states, but it's basically about these like weirdo rationalists, like uh, Eliezer Yudkowsky. I think mm -hmm. that's how you pronounce his name. Right. Mm -hmm. um, morality is so weird, and it is so hard to come up with a moral system that would just work. And people are more interested in this, I think, as religion has declined. So you can't just default to like the yes. lazy image of like, oh, it's what the Bible says. That I think anything as complicated as morality is going to lead to weirdness, to weirdness. Did, so it was. Did, did you mm -hmm. did you sorry, study a lot of philosophy? Did you study a lot of philosophy on the undergraduate level? Because I noticed a lot of your pieces are, are, are quite philosophical. I yeah, I was a philosophy major. I just wasn't very good uh -huh. at it or invested in it, but I have like a little <laughs> bit of background in that. But anyway, yeah, I mean, morality is so weird that someone was going to come up with like these weird thought experiments of like, oh, uh, how many hiccups are equivalent to the Holocaust, which is literally what the <laughs> you know utilitarian types do. So uh, uh -huh. yeah, anyway, that's all I got. And I don't know much about the actual origins of it. All right, thank you. Thank you, Dan. Good question. I'm furious it didn't involve youth gender stuff, but I forgive Dan. Morpho, what's up? Nice butterfly photo. Morpho, you got to unmute yourself. And you're the final caller. So there we go. How's it going? I will ramble for another minute and give Morpho a chance to get on the mic before I will wrap Hello? this up. Can you hear me now? Hello? Hey, can you hear me? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Go ahead. Uh, uh, I had to, hunt, had to hunt for the window for a moment. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, I had a uh, question that is sort of about uh, your your position as a as a um, semi-internet famous person, but I actually uh, wanted to um, talk a little about the uh, EA discussion just earlier. I thought that was very interesting, by the way. Um, I... 
occasionally talk to uh, some people that um, are either either self-identify as uh, EA or are very adjacent to that space. Um, and my impression from talking to them is that uh, EA gets a lot of attention for its weirdest beliefs, yeah. right? especially um, the uh, a lot of the long-term stuff we just mentioned. But I don't think that those ideas are very central to the practical work of EA uh, itself. And, and it doesn't seem to me that they take up particularly large amounts of like mental space. That's my, That's basically my argument, yeah. Right. Um, I I think the the reason that a lot of this comes up is that it's sort of like a it's like a demonstration of like epistemological integrity, right? It, it doesn't matter um, in, in terms of showing your your belief if you agree with the kind of uncontroversial points, but um, I I do think that most of them are like true believers um, in, in the in in the in the kind of uh, Broad stroke goals of EA, at least the ones who take the giving pledge and such, um, the the yeah. one where you give away your income, right? And um, I, I think what drives it is like if you have a lot of these people um, in in communities, right? The topics and the drift, and then eventually you're going to have to come to one of these topics where um, you know, and everyone in the room knows that yes, if you take this to the if you if you take this to a conclusion, um, a lot of the conclusions are like really sociopathic. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or you know uh, whatever you want to call them, uh, but I I reflect on that. I think like you know I I have some beliefs like um, where where I would kind of be forced to do the same. Like for example, um, you know I I don't think um, there there is any like dualist nature to to reality. So so like no spiritualism along those right. lines. And if you if you really press me on this viewpoint, I would have to I would have to say actually yes, my confidence in it is is like in fact so absolute that. Um, if if you if you made me say yes or no on all sorts of like sociopathic conclusions about it, which are you know logic, which, which logically follow even at a stretch, I would have to say yes to that. And I think that's what a lot of these people are doing is like, right. well, the, the the conversation drifts into more and more like unlikely and um, provocative topics. And if you really are, you know, a, a, a believer in um, intellectual integrity, then you have to say yes. I, I think that's a really interesting point. And I also, as is often the case with internet debates, I hope no one's offended by this. I do wonder a little bit about the role of autism um, because there's like, there is a lot of, there are a lot of neurodivergent folks in, you know, uh, EA and rationalist spaces. And I think there is something in this idea that like you, you don't want emotion to get in the way of good reasoning. And it might just be that actually this is a version of what you're saying. A coherent approach to morality requires us to acknowledge that a hundred quadrillion hiccups is actually worse than the Holocaust. And that does require like a certain level of abstraction and distance from emotion. And, and those are very, when working out moral issues, like putting some distance between yourself and disgust is actually very useful because like, why is homosexuality bad? It's gross. That was the prevailing logic forever. So I'm not saying this is bad, but I, I don't know. I do think in online communities with more neuroatypical people, it might be more likely for some of these weird arguments to prevail. And I don't mean that as a knock uh, on people who are neuroatypical. I think that could factor into it. Um, another sort of less less uh, um, complicated explanation um, that, that I that I hear from them is if you if you, you know, talk to some of these folks, uh, they, they have very what you might call like normal ethics of morality in in um, in, in regular practical situations, yes. right? And not and, on the message uh, boards, though, right? But but a hallmark of um, sort of uh, EA rationalism, etc., is, is uh, one of the things that you just do to to to. Um, Demonstrate that that you are you are in this intellectual space is like have the have the ability to discuss um, all topics no matter how outlandish or or potentially offensive right and and yeah. the 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 point is that by training that skill you you are I guess well it's like the equivalent of jousting like you're right. you're showing your chops right yeah. um, either way I don't um, I don't. Uh, I, I don't hang quite inside that crowd, um, but it, it's interesting. And I do think that uh, especially the folks who, you know, take pledges to give away a portion of their income are like, in fact, true believers. And, you know, there, I think a lot of the 
criticisms of the um, long-term stuff is, is pretty reasonable, but um, before all of that, before I'm ever going to say anything public, I'm going to say, look, I I don't donate my income for like the good of to the good of other people yet. Therefore, whatever I have to say, I don't feel personally holds a lot of weight next next to like that next to that level of like you know conviction. So I yeah. tend to stay quiet on it. But anyway, sorry sorry for the long digression. Um, I wanted to get to the question of so um as as a sort of fairly famous uh, blogger, writer at this point, right? I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you catch a lot of flack from the left, from, from the political left, right? Over yeah. your beliefs, um, even though I think that any any reasonable interpretation is that you're, you're you know, quite progressive. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if this, uh, if, if this, has given you like um do do you have recommendations of how to deal with this in in like an interpersonal sense not just in a you know argue on the internet sense but in a uh i i uh talk to say say i say i meet people um and i will studiously avoid all such topics because um i think that my like relatively centrist or like slightly left of center beliefs um, are going to make me like a total persona non grata in a lot of in a lot of um, polite company in in uh, with the friends that I keep. Is, is yeah. there a way to you know discuss reasonably intellectual topics in an inter in an interpersonal sense and not get into trouble um, on that front? I think it depends who you're talking to. If you're like talking to like the sorts of people who yell at me on Twitter, no, they're, they're true believers. And occasionally when I've like argued with people, I do get sort of the same whiff I got it. Like when I argued with hardcore Christians in like 2003, where we're just coming from such different places and you're, I don't think they're movable. I mean, maybe I'm guilty of the same thing. I think arguing about politics is often futile. I think doing it with people, you know, in real life is, is like particularly fraught. There's a kind of person who loves to argue and who doesn't take it personally. I'm thinking of my friend, Nick, he loves to argue. Um, a lot of people, it's just hard to have these conversations with them without it really degenerating into something ugly. And I just wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. Like if you are going to do it, you know, you should focus on common ground. You should say like, look, we do agree on X, Y, Z. You should try to frame the disagreement as narrowly as possible. If it is narrow, see so like, we agree on this, but I think we're defining this term differently. Ask them to define their terms, ask them like follow-up questions, be curious about their position. I just think a lot of the times if you're, um, you know, talking to someone who's really politically engaged, it's probably futile because they're not looking to be convinced. Okay. Um, is, is there, do, do you have any advice on convincing people that you are, you know, speaking in good faith? Uh, I don't think you can, right? I mean, if they think you're... Surely it can't be impossible. Right? No, I or guess not. Is, I mean, right? I, like, I found it's useful. I don't know. Like, if if someone's skeptical that of my view that, yes, we should have police, it's at least useful to point out, like, public opinion shows that black people, which are always invoked by white liberals as the reason to defund or abolish the police, like, no, they there's no evidence that they want to abolish the police. So how do you grapple with the fact that your own opinions on this are pretty out of whack with the group you're speaking for? Like questions like that help. But if people think you're you're talking in bad faith, I, I don't know. I think it's pretty hopeless having a, a reasonable conversation. Okay. Sorry to be so sorry to end on a pessimistic note. No, it seems like a, it seems like an overall pretty uh, hopeless topic. Grim unfortunately. <laughs> um, but I do think that helps a little. Thank you for the call, Morpha. Oh, and uh, one last thing: Do you do you uh, have any plans to um, write regarding um, transgender and and the current argument regarding sports? Uh, not just that. Well, uh, actually, I'm particularly interested in the conversation about sports at a non-professional, like non, um, you know, top-tier athlete level. Uh, you mean like rec sports leagues? Right. 
I think I like sort of need to pick and choose my spots with this stuff because it's so toxic. And I think focusing on the medical stuff, uh, youth, youth gender medicine is like my wheelhouse. Um, I'm probably not going to revisit the sports stuff. It's just mm-hmm. so self-evidently ridiculous that a bunch of progressive outlets have argued men and women aren't physically different that it's like, how many times can you repeat that point? Okay. Yeah. It does seem like a very, um, fraught thing to wade into. Yeah. I try to limit it, but, um, I mean, maybe some new story will come up or maybe like something's percolating in the, the league of rec sports, but, uh, yeah, for now, I feel like I've said what I want to say about that. Okay. Uh, very interesting writing recently. Thanks for keeping it up. Thanks. Thanks, Morpho. Um, and with that, the queue is empty. And uh, I just want to thank you guys very much, both for coming to this. We got a good um, hour plus show out of it. Uh, and just for supporting my writing. The newsletter is like a whole separate thing from the podcast. I, As you know, it has a pretty different tone. It's uh, maybe a bit drier and more technical, but I, I'm proud of the work I'm doing. I don't think I could do it for any outlet, not because they're – well, some of them are scared of it, but it's just hard. Like if you want to do a really in-depth critique of a New England Journal of Medicine article, where the hell else are you going to publish that? So I'm very grateful I found this niche for my writing, and I'm grateful for you guys. And thank you for tuning in. I will um, uh, next uh, newsletter, which I think will be up tomorrow on a lighter subject before I get to part two of the NEJM thing. I will include a link to this so folks who missed it can give it a listen. Thank you.